As we nestle in here and come before God's word, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah in chapter 50. We will be in chapter 50 this morning. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Ah, Lord Jesus, you call to us. You've said to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Lord, we believe you. As we come now to your word, would you refresh us with it? Help us to deepen our trust in you. Guide us by your spirit and open our hearts and minds to believe. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take this morning the bulk uh, of chapter 50 of Isaiah. We won't read just these first three verses because they're uh, a part of a different section, but we will pick up here in verse 4. So this is Isaiah in chapter 50, beginning in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let's stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire, and by the torches that you have kindled, this you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. This is the word of God. Now, We are here nearing Christmas, but we are currently in a season of Advent. And typically, the way we see Advent displayed, at least culturally, is through calendars. Maybe you even have one of these at your home with the little windows or the flaps that you open, and and maybe you get a chocolate or a little gift, and and if it's chocolate, maybe all the future windows have already been opened all the way up till Christmas because just the craving set in. Uh, Those can be fun. They can even be helpful. Uh, But these Advent calendars sometimes frame the season as a sort of countdown 
to Christmas. That was different than the experience of Isaiah and the people of his day, and even for generations afterward. They did not know the day of the coming Messiah. They did not know the day this servant would come. So it was not a time of countdown to a particular day. It was a time of anticipation. So we have a little one in our house who's still uh, starting and trying to get a grasp on time and how time works and yesterday and next week and Saturday and all of those are a little bit confusing uh, as far as concepts go. So uh, when, our, when our oldest, Eliza, knows that we have a visitor coming, for instance, she knows they're coming but will wake up after nap and after every morning and say, is today, is, is so-and-so t- here today? Are they here today? Is today the day? That Advent is not a countdown to the coming, but it's a sort of anticipation, an ongoing anticipation. So as we look at these four servant songs in the book of Isaiah, we're not really asking when will the servant come? When is Christmas Day when Jesus will come? We're really looking at what is he like When the servant Jesus comes in Christmas, what will we see when he comes? So just as a brief reminder, a few weeks ago when we looked at the first servant song, we saw this servant as the bringer of justice, that he would restore the things that have been lost in the fall. He would set the prisoner free. He would bring light into darkness. He would cause the blind to see. He's the bringer of justice. Then in the second servant song last week, we saw him as the light of the nations, that he was really salvation to the end of the earth, that good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. And both of these servant songs are just a brimming, bubbling with a hopefulness, peace, joy, all of those things. This third servant song and the fourth servant song are still hopeful, but they're hopeful with an edge. As we begin to hear here the pain of the servant In this third servant song, which we've just read, we will see him as the vindicated sufferer. That's what we're looking at this morning, the servant as the vindicated sufferer. This theme of suffering uh, continues into the fourth servant song even more intensely uh, than we see it here. Uh, The fourth and final servant song is the most familiar, the most well-known. We often hear it around Easter. In chapter 53, for example, you'll recognize some of these. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 7, like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 10, and yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. That's next week. We'll get to look next week at how the servant's suffering is unique. 
how his suffering had a unique effect for the people. But today, as we look at this servant's suffering, we want to see his suffering as instructive for us, as helpful for us as we look at his suffering. Now, as a caveat, I know that some people might bristle at the idea of even talking about suffering around the holidays. I mean, Christmas is supposed to be an uplifting time, right? You know, there's the, 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 the holly jollies and the jingle bells and, and, you know, kisses under the mistletoe. And it's the most wonderful time of the year after all. But after a while, maybe you feel this. I certainly do it sometimes. After a while, sometimes it can feel like we're just trying to jam Christmas cheer down our throat. And it starts to feel suffocating. We sometimes even do this as Christians. We know that at Christmas time in Advent, we celebrate the hope of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the, the love of Jesus, and all of these things are good. They're true. These are helpful and, and life for us, so we bring praise to Jesus. But there may be times when we also find ourselves struggling with these things, that we find Christmas to be disappointing, something feels broken, and we maybe feel guilty about feeling this way, that Christmas feels less like a big, rich, pine-scented tree than, and more like the Charlie Brown tree that's just barely holding itself up. It is important for us to recognize that Christmas is brimming with joy, but it also has a sharp edge. That this coming servant would be pierced, and so would those who are near to him. In fact, one of the final notes of the Christmas story, as it's told in Luke's Gospel, has an ominous tone. This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, about Jesus. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That a sword would pierce her soul. That Mary would experience the agony, the deep pain as a result of this child, Jesus. Oh, and it's more than just about her because she's the the mom. This Christ child will bring the rise of many in Israel, but also the fall of many. Or if we could say it in the way that Isaiah does in the servant song at the very end, that those who walk in their own light, they will end in their own torment. That if we reject the light of the servant, it only leads to darkness. There's a sharp edge here. Now, all of this joy from Jesus doesn't mean 
that if we really follow Jesus, that if we really put our guts into it, that we'll never experience seasons of darkness ourselves. We know that the Lord really does give real hope and peace and joy and love, but our lives as Christians are not just one continuous mug of hot chocolate. It's more complex than that. In fact, we should expect it to be different if we are heirs of Jesus, the scripture says. If we are co-heirs with Christ, we will suffer with Christ. Suffering is actually part of our adoption into the family of God, that there will be seasons for us of real pain, of real suffering, and of real weariness. And the Lord says to us here that he will not remove the source of our weariness, but he will sustain us in the midst of that weariness. He says it in verse 4 of the servant song. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Did you hear it? The servant will sustain the weary one and with a word that there is something that he says to us here that will help uphold us. There is something that the servant has been taught by his own suffering that he now teaches us as we face our own sufferings. And we know that we may not all face sufferings in the same way or to the same degree, but we all do need to be prepared for suffering as Christians. Uh, there was a man in Romania, Richard Wormbrand, boy, that's a name, uh, who lived in communist Russia in the 1940s and became famous uh, for a variety of things, one uh, for his uh, 14 years in prison there. And he writes this. He says, I remember my last confirmation class before I left Romania. I took a group of 10 to 15 boys and girls on a Sunday morning, not to a church, but to the zoo. And before the cage of lions, I told them, your forefathers in faith were thrown before such wild beasts for their faith. Know that you also will have to suffer. You will not be thrown before lions, but you will have to do with men who would be much worse than lions. Decide here and now if you wish to pledge allegiance to Christ. They had tears in their eyes when they said yes. We have to make the preparation now before we are imprisoned. Whether or not prison is in our particular future is beside the point. We know that suffering is part of our lives of faithfulness. And so in this servant song, we are upheld. In the rest of our time, then, we want to look at the servant here, look at Jesus here, and see three ways that this servant relates to suffering in a way that will help sustain us. So the first of these is that the servant faced suffering. Got that one? I know, groundbreaker, yes? The servant faced suffering. What I mean by this is that his suffering did not just come out of the blue. 
His suffering was not a bait and switch as if he had signed up for peace and instead got pain. In a sense, this servant expected to suffer, and even more than that, he willingly gave himself over to that suffering. You can see it in verse 6. He says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. Now, what I'm about to say might seem obvious to some of us, but I, I feel like I need to mention this because I, in, in many years, have seen this too often. We are not out looking to suffer. We are not trying to, sh to suffer. The servant is not walking around here with his, his shirt pulled up and his back exposed and says, who wants to take a whack? He's not trying to suffer. We know that some Christians think this way. Some Christians are self-inflicted martyrs. In a sense, they are seeking pain. And they might do this because they think it somehow makes them holier or perhaps more acceptable in the sight of God. Or perhaps these people are so guilt-ridden that they think that they just deserve all the suffering. And so they end up asking for it, even inflicting it upon themselves. Sometimes this even involves dramatic things like physical cutting or even to the point of suicide. If you are now or in the future in that possession, in one of those positions, please let someone help you through that. We know that there is lots of ways this might be manifested, but to seek out suffering that sort of mindset is not healthy, it is not good, and it is not the call of Scripture. We know that Jesus suffered, but he didn't seek it out. He prayed to the Father, Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We know that we do not seek out suffering, and yet we also don't need to run and hide from suffering. That when Jesus was arrested on the night before he was crucified, he says to those around him, don't you know that I could call down 12 legions of angels to stop this? And yet he didn't. And yet he went with his captors willingly in a sense, this call to willingly submit to suffering is a call to all of us as followers of Jesus, that we're to face suffering when it comes, even to give ourselves to it. Jesus says as much in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, let me find it. Verse 39. Jesus says, but I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat, cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
this is supposed to sound radical, but some people might say, wait a minute here. It almost sounds like Jesus is encouraging us to receive abuse. It's not what he's saying. We need to hear this with wisdom. So we should not allow a person to beat their child, for example, or their spouse. That is wickedness. Or we should not just let people walk over us as if we're some sort of doormat without any sort of boundaries. Uh, And if we see even physical uh, aggression in, in our going about our daily days, we often should step into that to stop it, to, to give some help if we can. What Jesus is after here is that we should rid ourselves of retaliation. We should not retaliate when suffering comes. Now, some people go, wait a minute, but that just sounds weak. I don't think I could let somebody do that to me. This is not weakness. Weakness is if you can't do anything about it. This is strength. Strength is if you could retaliate, but you choose not to. You could fight fire with fire, but you choose not to. That if someone spits fire at you, it actually takes more strength, not less, to avoid the temptation to pour more fuel onto that fire. There's a unique kind of freedom, then, that comes with this. That instead of being bound to some sort of reactionary kickback, you hurt me, so now I will hurt you. Instead, we give our backs to those who strike us. We give our cheeks to those who would pull out our beard. The servant faced suffering. He willingly gave himself to it. So that's the first but. This does not mean that he was unaffected by suffering. Here's our second observation from this servant song, that the servant was defaced by suffering. The servant was defaced by suffering. There are lots of potential uh, sources of suffering. You know, we could name lots. Uh, Suffering that comes as a result of of nature, for example, tornadoes and floods and all that come with that. Uh, There's suffering that sometimes comes from circumstances. Loss of a job. Loss of a loved one. Maybe loss of health or mobility. And then there's suffering that is intentionally inflicted by a person. That's the kind of suffering that we see here. There, there sometimes is an, an, a physical aspect of that. We saw uh, this already, that his back is struck, that his beard is plucked out. Ouch. <laughs> but we know that we are more than just physical beings. That there is a type of suffering that can be inflicted upon us that goes deeper than our skin. Suffering that hits the spirit, that hits the mind, that hits the emotions. That's what the servant experienced if we read on in verse 6. He talks about his back being struck, his beard plucked, and then he says, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. That he was humiliated 
here, that he is defaced. There may be times in which this may happen to us because we follow Jesus. It might not be literal spitting in the face, but there are still many ways to deface a person. People may call us as Christians, may call us stupid, call us backward, call us harmful to society. They might see us as outdated and outnumbered and out of step with the culture. We can be scoffed at, gossiped about, lied to and insulted because of our faith in Jesus. But part of the way that the servant sustains us here is not to say, ah, that suffering is no big deal. He actually acknowledges the fact that there is a defacing that happens, that that suffering is really real. We recognize that the greater the value of a thing, the greater the damage done when it's defaced. So if I pull out a, a permanent marker, a big black magic marker, and I mark on my lamp at home, that's one thing. Oh, but it's a bigger deal if I start to mark all over the outside of my car. Or if I went to a museum and began to mark all over the Mona Lisa and other classic paintings. We know there is nothing more valuable in all of God's creation than human beings. Ones who are made in the very image of God. So de to deface a human is to just take a permanent marker and scribble all over the soul. That happened to Jesus, too. We should not think that he's just above all of this because he happens to also be God. The servant was defaced by suffering, and we need to recognize that. Now, there's the first two, that the servant faced suffering willingly, that he was defaced by suffering, that it re the suffering was real, but where do we go now? Here's the third and final one, that the servant was flint-faced through suffering. The servant was flint-faced through suffering. I know that's an odd way to say it. No one says that, but that's the image that the writer uses here, and I love it, I, uh, so I don't want us to get away from it. It's in verse 7. He says, The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore, here it is, I have set my face like a flint. Now, what does that mean, that he set his face like a flint? It does not mean, it does not mean that he was stone-faced. You know what I mean, where there's just no expression at all? We know that some people try to deal with their suffering. This is especially true of men by pretending that it doesn't bother them. And that's more like John Wayne than it is like Jesus. If we're stone-faced, that doesn't get rid of it. It just buries the effect of it deeper. 
If we take an unfeeling or sort of stoic approach to suffering, we run the risk not of being less damaged by it, but being more damaged by the suffering. When the servant says he sets his face like a flint, what he means here is that he is determined to get through it. We know that uh, some translations, when they pull from the Hebrew here, translate out the metaphor and just put it this way, I refuse to give up. Or some have translated, I am steadfastly resolved. It reminds me of my, my brother when we were kids. We had a fireplace in our living room, and he wanted always to get as close to it as he could. But it's hot, you know? And so he got out his you know, plastic uh, mask for some toy that was long gone, but uh, put, would put it, and there were little slits so that he could see through with little windows, and he would put it on so he could get real close up to the fire. He was determined to be... To, to get through it there. There is uh, something fitting about that. You'll notice that this determination, this setting one's face like a flint, doesn't happen just automatically. He says he sets his face that way. He makes himself flint-faced. Now, how does he do it? How does the servant set his face like a flint? If we listen carefully, you'll notice that the servant here is speaking to himself. We get to overhear the words that he's saying to himself. But as he speaks to himself, he's not looking within himself for strength. As he speaks, he surrounds himself with the truth of the Lord. Verse 7, let me read it again. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I've not been disgraced. Therefore I've set my face like a flint, that the Lord is my help. That is true. That while in one sense I have been defaced and disgraced, in another sense I am not disgraced at all. And he can see where it's going and where it's not going. If we look in the rest of verse 7, he says, I know that I won't be put to shame. It won't go there. I won't end in shame. But, verse 8, he who vindicates me in shame, or he who vindicates me is near. The end of all of this will be vindication. To be vindicated means to be proved right, or to be set right again. So the servant calls on this big heavenly courtroom, and he brings this case against the adversary who's been doing this to them, and he, uh, to him, and, and he says, they'll be eaten up like moths tear up an old shirt, but the Lord will help me. I will be vindicated, he says. Jesus is never just a sufferer. He is always a vindicated sufferer. A sufferer who gets made right. His disgrace will always end in glory. His his humiliation always ends in exaltation. Even his death ends in resurrection of new life that can never die. And that is true of every Christian 
to. That if you are in Jesus, you are never just a sufferer. You are always a vindicated sufferer. You may not be to the vindication part yet, but it will come. This is the word of the Lord that will sustain you in your weariness, that the Lord God helps you. He is able to make you face suffering willingly. In his sense, to even be defaced by suffering in a way that has a real and deep impact but also to set your face like a flint through that suffering so that you will not be put to shame. We know that's a high call to do these things, and it's too much for us to do this by ourselves or on our own, but this is the work of God in us. We cannot equip ourselves to do this. If we do, it's just little light of our own torches, torches of our own making. And if we do that, that'll just make us bold-faced and and prideful to kindle up these things ourselves. It'll only stir up our own sin. But we know that our help here is not ourselves. Our help is God. Our help is the Lord. And in the midst of of all of Christmas, the ho-ho-hos and the fa-la-las, remember, we come to Jesus, the vindicated suffering servant. So who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Would you pray with me? Mm, Lord Jesus, uh, we know that in coming to earth, you took the form of a baby, truly human, a servant, and you willingly humbled yourself to become obedient even to the point of death on a cross. But Lord, your suffering is vindicated. You are alive in glory. You are highly exalted so that we would all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Help us to continue in that truth. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to rely upon you even in the midst of our sufferings. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.